When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Off the Bench Summer Edition. All the big news and views from sport. G'day and welcome to the Off the Bench where we look at the best bits from Sports Day and the big league stories around the week. Myself, Jace Matthews and Matty Rogers had some great interviews over the week and what a week it was. We spoke to Parramatta, New South Wales and Australian legend Brett Kenny and with all the immortal chat at the moment, he seems to be the most popular person and player that has never been voted an immortal. So he talks about Wally Lewis, his battle against the King. He talks about being an immortal and how important would it be to him if it was to be named one day. And also Kangaroo Tours and much, much more. That's going to be a two-part series coming out very soon. We also caught up with Anthony Seabold, the Manly coach. He talks about his recent trip to Vegas to set up for Round Zero with their clash against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And also the Manly Ringer Seagulls preseason today. Tommy Trebojevic, how's he tracking at the moment? Plus Chris Nelson, he'll join us for all the tips for the weekend in racing. And before we hear from Brett Kenny, it's time for our dig segment. Thanks to Sherlock Wheelbarrows. View the range of Sherlock lastlonger.com.au. What am I having a dig at or what am I digging? Well, I'm digging that um, the Foo Fighters are in Australia at the moment in concert. I'm digging that. Uh, and what am I having? I'm having a dig at Candace Warner on the back page during the week when she asked the question to Crash Craddock around Cam Smith not making the cut at the Australian PGA. And her comment was to the effect, uh, is this the live, the live players not being as good as the PGA players because they don't play four rounds and what? just playing for the money? Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm having a dig at. Candace, Come on, that's ridiculous. Stay in your lane. Uh, that's what I'm having a dig at. I don't know about you. 0457 736 736. From the job site to your backyard, lighten the load with Sherlock, available at Bunnings Warehouse. Okay, as I promised, myself and Matty Rogers caught up with one of the greatest players we've seen in rugby league. He was through the 80s and also the 90s, and that man is Parramatta legend, Brett Kenny. Neil, Brett Clark, long ball, Brett Gale. Intercepted by Kenny! Oh! Hang on, where's the opposition gotten to? Brett Kenny snatching it out of the air, as we've seen so often from him. Oh, he was great. It's so good to have him on the line here. But before we do that, have a listen to this. Can I just go through this resume yeah, with yeah, your rat please and do. listeners? Please 265 do. games for the Eels, four-time premiership winner. He was 2021 and 22 when that three-peat happened. Mm. He was a Clive Churchill medalist, retrospectively, in 82 and 83. Mm. 17 origins, 17 test matches, two kangaroo tours, Challenge Cup winner in Wigan in 1985. What a game. Lance Todd Trophy player of the Challenge Cup 1985 and the Golden Boot winner for the best international player of the year in 1985. And Steve, one of our loyal listeners, will oh, be absolutely frothing be, at the moment. He'll be beside himself. Brett Kenny joins us on Sports Day. How are you, Bert? Oh, man, not too bad. Going okay. <laughs> so how's life? So we're talking to you a little bit off air. You're um, 
you're on the central coast at the moment, are you? Yeah, mate. Yeah, been up here now for oh, just on ten years, ten twelve years. I think. Yeah, it's been good. There's quite a few ex Parramatta players up here, and beautiful, mate. Now, mate, before we get into rugby league, um, I wanted to chat to you because your hand-eye coordination—you see it when you play—is just unbelievable. But from all reports, you could have been lost to baseball. You're a pretty handy baseballer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually come from a baseballing family. My dad. My dad played for Australia, um, I think back in the 60s, and um, back then baseball here in Australia wasn't that big. So they um, they used to have like a Claxton Shield, it was called. It was yeah. a, bit, a bit like Sheffield Shield in cricket where all the states get together, play each other over a period of a week or so, and then um, they select an Australian team, and, and he, he was selected to play for Australia, and, and uh, I think they played against uh, a United States Navy team that were in, in port and whatever city the um, the Claxton Shield was in. So, um, yeah, they didn't sort of get to play against world-ranked teams that often, but, uh, yeah, he played for Australia, and then, of course, it was just a natural thing for, for me being a baseballing family. The day, you know, I was, I was probably three months old. It was my first time at a baseball game, and... And um, yeah, just started playing baseball in the summertime, and where all my mates were playing cricket, and uh, yeah, just from there, sort of that's where I think a lot of the hand-eye coordination come from was was playing baseball. Was there any thoughts made of perhaps you know pushing your way over to the US and having a crack at the majors? Oh, mate, well, back then it wasn't wasn't like it is now, and, yeah. and um, I don't think they had too many scouts coming over. Um, you know, like that was back in the 70s, and and um, you know, I, I enjoyed playing, and um, I was going okay, and it wasn't going too bad. And one thing it did do for me is it, is it brought me, you know, what it's going to be like um, being the son of a of a father that played at the highest level. Mm. Um, you know, the expectation that people have on you at a young age, and you know, I've seen that happen through rugby league as well, and. Um, I guess I was fortunate to be able to go through that at an early stage, but but um, yeah, mate, I I enjoyed enjoyed playing baseball, and and um, I guess in a lot of ways, if I could have gone, got myself over to America, well, who knows what I would have been able to achieve. Mm. But back then, it was it was just uh, just play at home, and and um, you know, wasn't too many guys actually uh, got got taken over there. Yeah, well, different time, maybe. Yeah, but it ended up being rugby league, Bert, and you're born around the Canterbury region. So back then, how did it work being identified? And what I mean by that is why not be, why not a bulldog? Well, I was born at Canterbury Hospital, but I was eventually, like, by the time I was five, we moved out to Greystones, which is a Parramatta yep. area, um, a suburb out there, and, and I ended up playing... All my junior football at Guildford. Um, funny thing was, it was a, one of the guys from up a couple of houses up the road. He come down and said he was going down to try out to play rugby league, and it would have liked to come. And I said, "Oh well, I'll go down, and have a go." So I went down. There. I think we were eight. Uh, I think he was there for twelve months. Um, I was there for ten years. So <laughs> um, yeah, I started to enjoy the game, and and um, and as as you went along. Uh, in your junior football, they had um, different junior rep teams. Jersey Flag was one. I think that was back then. It was probably under 18s. I remember I was 16 and got asked to try out. Didn't make it. 
finally, I wasn't asked, and I'd, I'd heard there was a guy from Guildford that actually spoke to the coach, who was Terry Swift, and said, you know, asked why I wasn't asked to go over, and he didn't realise that had happened. So I got the invite, went over, made the side, and then from there, um, I was still, still playing at Guildford, and then eventually went to uh, what they call President's Cup, which mm. was under-21 rep mm. team for Parramatta, and I was trialling with them against guys that were trialling for uh, grade at Parramatta, around under-23s, and after um, a weekend of trials there, I got asked to go over and try out for the under-23s, and um, that was at the back end of 1979 and early 1980. And I remember we I was still playing baseball in the summertime, so uh, we had a trial game at Brookvale Oval, and fortunately I was in the team probably the fourth team of the under-23s, had about five or six of them, and I think I hit, kicked off at 10.30 after the game, had a shower, drove out to Blacktown, played baseball that afternoon. And <laughs> obviously, once I got graded, my dad said to me, you know, you're not going to be playing baseball anymore. So that was the end of the baseball career. Oh, well, so you t- I, I love talking to our, our rugby league uh, former players about their debuts. Burton, just reading that your debut was that there's some some ovals I never wanted to make my debut at. In mm. the day, I didn't want to make de- my debut at Campbelltown for some mm. reason. I don't know why, but probably the other place I wouldn't want to make my debut at if I, you know, if I didn't have a history the club would be Redfern Oval, and that's exactly where you came off the bench and played your your debut. Was there any welcome to first grade <laughs> moment at Redfern? Oh no, not really. I, I actually I was a South supporter as a kid, and I remember. Um, I was 19, I was sitting on the bench. I'd played reserve grade and I was sitting on the bench for the first grade. Back then, everyone could sit on the bench. And nine times mm. out of ten, you sat there because yep. it was easier than trying to find a spot in the crowd. <laughs> um, and, yeah, you know, being a South supporter, I, I was hoping we won in the in reserve grade, but I was sitting there thinking it was South scored. I thought, oh, how good was that, you know? Mm. <laughs> and then here I am, get a tap on the shoulder and, and uh, went on and played outside Mick Cronin and... Um, it was one of those things, yeah. You know, it was uh, it was ironic that, I, you know, as I said, I was a South supporter all my all my life, well, all my junior life as a as a young kid. Um, followed South, and here I was you now making a debut in first grade against South Sydney. And I've often said to people, I always thought first grade wasn't that tough, you know, wasn't that hard. But it took me a few years to realise that playing outside Mick Cronin was a big advantage. He really looked after me. And he helped me. Helped me grow into into first grade and, and grow into the centre position, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he got quite a few more knocks than he normally would have, um, just to look after this skinny looking blonde haired kid outside him. Well, I, mate, I, I can concur with what you're saying there. My old man used to tell me many a story about the way the crow used to set him up, make him look really good. Um, but we know you had the talent, Bert, and um, you know, how, I just wanted to ask you, how much does a does a man like Jack Gibson play? in your development as a 21, 22, 23-year-old winning three consecutive grand finals, you know, as a playmaker, Clive Churchill and two of them, how much impact does, does uh, Jack Gibson have on a young playmaker oh, in yeah, those I've, times? I've always said, yeah, mate, I've always said that, you know, Jack's probably, well, not probably, but he was the best coach that I've ever played under. Um, and it wasn't just the football side of things, it was your personal life as well and, being a young guy, um, you know, I was uh, 20, 20 years of age in 81 and 
you got someone like Jack Gibson as your coach, and I got to admit, I was shit scared when he first arrived. I didn't know what to expect. I'd heard all these stories, but he was a great man and and a very honest man. And but he was very big on discipline, and I felt that was good for me being a young bloke and having a lot of this sort of everything happening so quickly. Um, you know, being graded in 1980 as a 19-year-old and playing first grade that year, everything sort of happened really quickly. And you can get it. You can let it get to you a little bit, and but having Jack there, that sort of didn't happen, and you know, it didn't matter who you were or what you've achieved in the game, everyone was treated the same, and and um, you know, it was one of the, well, three of the best life, best times in my life, in in um, in eighty one, eighty two, eighty three, when Jack was our coach, you know, we he just learned so much, and he he kept things so simple, mm. and that was the thing. A, a, People were very surprised when they talked to you and they expect you to be saying, well, I had a book, you know, six inches thick, full of plays and what we had to do. And I said, it was never like that. He, one of the things Jack used to say to us, if we're ever on the field and we're not sure what's going on and we're in a dummy half, just pick the ball up and run to the middle of the field. That was it. Mm. We'll, we'll look after that after. Once you get tackled, we'll worry about what you're going to do next, you know. And everything was very simple with him and, and he'd often bring... At training, he would sort of come up with a play and he'd say, this is what I want to do. And we'd go through the play and then he'd ask us whether we thought it was any good. If someone was in a position where they couldn't get to where they were supposed to. And so he, he was never one that wanted to dominate the players. He was always prepared to ask the players you know, what they thought of everything. And, and um, yeah, just just a great man. I've always said I, playing under the coaching of Jack Gibson not only made me a better player, but more importantly, made me a better person. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of good well, men so. in rugby league. There's a lot of good people in rugby league. And, you know, you, you can sort of sometimes, you know, you, you see the, the media sometimes and the press around the game sometimes. And you, it, it's disappointing because you know there are so many good people in the game that have made such a huge impact in people's lives. And Jack Gibson certainly had an impact in my life, yep. um, you know, as a young man, getting to meet him uh, when he was down at Cronulla. And, uh, yeah, look, it's 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 amazing to hear what an impact he's had in your life, Bert, being such a an icon and and um, an amazing player of and of our game. I don't um, know about his dress sense, Bert. Maybe I loved he, it. He used to have the big bears rug, didn't <laughs> yeah, he? Big, As the jacket, the coat, and the hats, and <laughs> German shepherds at training. <laughs> I used to wonder what was under those coats. I was always a bit wary that he put his hand in underneath. I don't know what's going on here, but. I always remember, like, this is the type of coach he was. And you don't see it often, that often in a lot of coaches today, but he knew every player in the club and he knew everything about every player in the club. He could read his players. And I remember one day I got out, I think it was 1983, I'd been away on a kangaroo tour. I hadn't missed a game in that season and went straight over to England and come back, didn't have much of a break. And anyway, I started playing and, and then uh, got out out of the car training and someone come over and said, Jack wants to see you in his office. Well, that's not what you want to hear when you get out of the car. So I sort of went weak at the knees. I'm thinking, oh, shit, what have I done? I walked in. He just told me to sit down. He said, I'm not going to play you this week. And, of course, I said, well, Jack, I haven't missed a game in nearly two years and I'd like to play. He said, well, that's fine. If you want to play, you can play reserve grade. No. <laughs> said, so it was either... Have the week off or play reserve. I said, okay, I'll have the week off. He said, good, get your bag, go and get in your car and go home. They don't want to see you for till next Tuesday. And 
so that's what I did, and and um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'd had too much football. I was tired, um, and a few weeks later, I, I remember seeing a replay of a game on TV, and Bill Anderson said that that Gibson must be pleased with the return of form of Brett Kenny, and I thought, well, that was because of what he did, and he just knew that I needed a break. Mm. Same thing happened to me in '87, and with that experience that I've had before with, with what Jack did, I knew what I was going through. I didn't have a break from the game, but I just knew that eventually I'll, I'll get through it. But I knew why I was I was like I was. '82 Kangaroo Tour. Yeah, you, you're on tour with one, uh, another great in Wally Lewis. He's the vice captain, but he comes off the bench, and you end up playing number six. Was it an out now battle for that jersey, or was, or did the coach say that? you know, you're going to start, you know, and we'll see how it goes? Or was it a battle from the beginning? Um, well, I was actually surprised. I, I must admit, I had, a, I had a shock that that I was read out as a 5'8". Um, I have thought Wally would be 5'8 in all the tests. I just thought I'd play in a lot of the club games. But um, Max Krillich said to me, you know, years later, he said, you know, it was the way you were training. Um, Wally didn't train all that hard. Um, he said that's what it was and it impressed Frank Stanton So, um, and also having Ray Price at lock um, and they thought well Sterlo was playing well enough so they thought they'd keep the three together and and that's how it happened And but um, you know I've got to give Wally a lot of credit a lot of people thought he would have just you know been dirty on me and, and not talked to me or anything like that it was the complete opposite you know he always spoke to me before the game and saying, mate, just do this, just do that, don't get too carried away with things. And, and you know, like it was my first test match and he'd played in tests back here in Australia and obviously being the vice-captain, he's had a fair bit of experience. And, and uh, yeah, he helped me helped me a lot. And, and it was um, it was great to be able to play in my first test match, you know, in 1982. And I often think back, you know, it was only... But two years earlier, I just started playing at Parramatta, and here I was now. What a special. Two years later, playing from the country. 22. Special moment. Yeah. Very special moment. So, what was it about Wally that brought the best out of you? I mean, obviously, you know, there's that New South Wales Queensland rivalry, and was that basically what drove you to perform when you came up against the King? Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he was the best, and, and I, I, I remember watching him play for Australia. At, in Sydney at the cricket ground, and and I was hoping that he, everyone was booing him and everything. And I'm thinking, geez, I hope he goes all right. This is not right, you know. This bloke, he's done nothing wrong, you know, because he's a Queenslander and he's now playing for Australia. And um, yeah, I was a bit of a fan of his when he was playing out here. And, and um, but yeah, it was just just the fact that you're up against, you know, Wally Lewis, who's the best player in the world, and you think, well, here's an opportunity. I, I remember, you know, when I, I played against Cronulla and and um, played against your old man, mate, you know, yeah. and, and everyone saying, oh, yeah, you're playing against Steve Rogers. And I said, well, yeah, I'm playing against one of the best centres in the world. What have I got to lose? I've got nothing to lose. I'm a young <laughs> kid, I, <laughs> you know. And um, and it was great. It was it was good. I mean, he, him and, and the crowd were two of my idols. But, yeah, that was the thing about playing against Wally was he knew he was regarded as the best player in the world and you thought well give it your best shot just play your natural game and then see what happens and, and um, you know go in there with the attitude you've got nothing to lose you can try things and hopefully it all comes out and 
you know, in the end, yeah, we, you know, we, we lost a few games early on in the series and um, in those early years. But then '85, we were able to come out and win the series for the first time. And so, um, yeah, it was it was all worthwhile. But yeah, it's only just it was because of he's standing in the game, you know, yeah. the best player in the world. Well, wouldn't you enjoy playing against him? Yeah, exactly. Now, let's touch on a bird. Of course, it's been uh, pretty big news over the, the last few weeks, especially the last six or seven days. So much talk at present around the immortals again and who's going to be the next inducted. Your name again is front and centre. <laughs> as it should be. As it should be. But how appreciative are you? Because it's hard for you to, to talk about yourself, it's, isn't it? Sportsmen and women, it's hard for them to talk about themselves and promote themselves. But how... How appreciative are you that there's so many in your corner that think you should be there? Oh, yeah, mate. I, I, I often, you often think of when it all comes out, you know, people are talking about it all the time, as you say, and you think about I often think, you know, geez, if ever I do get become an immortal, the first thing I'm going to have to do is thank everyone on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it was, just yeah. seems to be on Facebook, everyone. Everyone say, yeah, he should be an immortal. Now I see Ron Coote, and you know, I think, well, I can't disagree with that. Um, I guess, yeah, it, it's it's nice to have people think that you're at that level and, and you've done enough in the game to, to warrant being classed as an immortal. I know people bring up the fact that, as we mentioned a little earlier, that um, I replaced Wally Lewis in the test matches in England, um, and he's an immortal. So, and then also Mal Meninga in 86. Um, I played in the centres and with Gene Miles. Um, so <clears throat> there's an argument there. But uh, look, you know, I, I, it's it's obviously good to have people mention you about it. Being an immortal, it, I don't know, it may happen. Um, I honestly believe that they they should have done it in, in decades, say 60s to 70s, and team players have played in that era, pick four of them, and then 70s to 80s and, and done it that way. Um, there's probably a lot more players that I think, you know, weren't being an immortal that probably would never get mentioned. So, and they're players that played years before me. Um, but, yeah, as I said, it's, it's a, always a, a great honour to think that people think you've done enough in the game to warrant being at least mentioned. I like that. Being immortal. I like that system. Well, I said that last bad. night, Sats. You know, mm. I mean, we, we need to – it's just uh, – we're, we're not going to get it right until we do it in blocks. Like, yep. it's like this period, this period. Like, it just becomes too convoluted. Yeah. And, like, someone like Brett Kenny, who should have been an immortal years ago, it, it, now we're questioning it. Like, you look at the resume. Mm. Like, it's a given. So, Bert, can I ask you this? Is it is it important to you to be named an immortal? Oh, mate, sometimes I think yeah, it'd be nice to do it. And then I think, well, what is it going to make any difference to my life? You know, you think, well, is it something that you go, well, geez, if I become an immortal, this will happen and that'll happen, and that'll be good, um, or you just, I guess, you just don't know. I mean, um, people will always have their opinions, and and if you don't. If it comes out that I don't get it, or say Ron Coote, who everyone's talking about at the moment, if he doesn't get it, but there'll still be people who'll say, in our, in our eyes, he's, he's an immortal. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I often wonder, you know, if I did become an immortal, would my life change? or And if it did, how will it change? 
maybe it don't, will, maybe it won't. I, I guess I won't really know the answer to that until um, they name the next immortals. Mm. Well, you mentioned Ron Kurt. Like Kurt, I think he's a victim of John Raper being in the same era and exactly the same position as well. Now, do you think maybe that you've been a victim of the same scenario, that, that Wally's the same position, the same era? Oh, look, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of players that have gone through the same situation, you know, um, playing in, in certain areas where there's been so many great players and they've only picked one or two from that era and then moved on. And you think, well... I mean, I, I always argue the point. If people say, oh, you know, that was that was the best era. People say, oh, the 80s was the best era of the game. And I think at one stage they were talking about you can only have one or two players out of each era. And I'm thinking, well, why? Yeah. If, mm. if the 80s was regarded as the best, obviously got a lot of quality players. How come you can only pick two? Why not just pick the best that you think they are and put them in if they're worthy of doing it? And um, I, I just, you know, I, I just think that that's what's happened to a lot of players, a lot of former players, was that the era that they'd come in was so good. There were so many quality players, but they didn't want to put too many from that era in, maybe being frightened of people saying they'd been biased or whatever. But mm. I just regard, I just think that if, if that was an era where they had so many quality footballers and they all and they deserved, we'll put them in. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And do that and, and um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of guys. I look at, folks, I look at a, a guy by the name of John Sattler. I, you know, used to love watching him as a kid and I, I often think, you know, how come he wasn't, wasn't yeah. named? Why, yeah. why wasn't he put in? And he's probably because he's come through that era where there were so many mm. quality players and, and he picked one or two. Mm. And, yeah, it's a, you know, it just it just makes it hard. I don't know how else they're going to be able to do it, but I've always thought that if they did it in in um, decades or whatever, and maybe pick four, maybe more. I don't know. But there's definitely yeah. going to be a lot of players that will miss out that people will argue should have been an immortal. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, let me tell you, Bert. I I think your life would change, um, and and I, I think it'd be for the better because you'd be honoured for what you've done for the game. And, and not just for the game, but around the game too. I, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I met you when I was about five years old. You were my hero. Yeah, so can you tell the story to the so, listeners? Yeah. So, so, yeah, and I, I, we talked about this, Bert, at the 2016 grand final lunch. Do you remember when I, when I, I fronted you at the side of the yeah. stage? And I said, I, I remember I spoke to you and you, and then you said to me what you said to me back then. And I was like, you said to me, I could, you know, do you want to do this like your dad, mate? And I'm like, yep. And you're like, you can do it, mate. Just keep training hard. And, and I was just in awe of you, you know, like, and you didn't, you didn't need to do that. You were, you know, just being nice to a little kid and, and it inspired me. Um, and, you know, you weren't just great on the field, you're great off it. And, and when you get honoured for that sort of stuff, like becoming an immortal, it's not just, yeah, it, it will change your life. It'll make you feel amazing. But all those people that have supported you along the way, they, they, they ride that way with you. Uh, I know, you know, our, our listeners like Steve from Dubbo, who's the biggest yeah. Parramatta fan. And, Parramatta. And, oh, <laughs> mate, they, they, lo- they love you. And they, and they ride that wave. And, and I think you deserve it. So, you know, I, I've, if, I, if I had a vote, mate, you'd be getting mine, that's for sure. Well, I'm uh, signing the petition. Yeah, yeah, we're on. We're yeah. on. Uh, 
But but I became I was such a, a one-eyed Parramatta fan. I'd sit in the dugout, particularly like when we were playing when Cronulla was playing Parramatta. I'd cheer for Parramatta. And my old man clipped me one day. None of the Cronulla players had talked to me because I kept cheering for Parramatta. <laughs> I kept cheering for you, Bert, rather than the para, rather than Cronulla. I had my my Cronulla kit on, but I was cheering for Parramatta. So uh, I think there was a few back didn't, then. Didn't go down that well, mate. Yeah. Didn't go down that well. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was a good man, your daddy. looked after me over in England in 82 and sort of took me under his wing a bit. And I learned a lot and um, he was always good to me. And as I said, he was one of my idols as a young bloke and it was such a privilege to be able to, first of all, play against him and then play alongside him. It was it was great. And I was able to do the same with Mick Cranden. So I was very fortunate. You know, a lot of people have their idols in sports and that, but just don't have the opportunity to either meet them or play with them and and I was able to do that. Steve Rogers and Bert Kenny, the oh, poetry man. in motion. Mm. Hey, Bert, we could sit here and talk about your career for hours and we want to thank you very much for taking time out to join us on Sports Day because we've had a lot of fans that have been texting and wanting to talk to you and want us to interview you. So we're so privileged to have you on the show, mate, and thank you very much for, for joining us on Sports Day. Not a problem, boys. It was a pleasure. Welcome back. This is Off the Bench Summer Edition. Anthony Seabold, welcome to Sports Day. Hey, g'day, Sats. G'day, Rat. How are you guys? Good, yeah, mate. good. 50 oh, well, next 50, year. Wow. Mate, yeah. Hey, you don't look hey, at... Sats, I want to just turn 40, 49, mate. So, um, <laughs> my, my daughters are already into me. And they're telling me the exact same thing. And I keep saying, I just turned 49. So, mate, I'm, I'm hanging on to the 40s, mate. Hey, can I say, Seabs, also, your birthday in the first week of October also falls around NRL Grand Final Day. So, wouldn't it be bad? 50th present to be uh, playing on grand final night? Oh, mate, I'd definitely give up a birthday party to be part of the grand final, mate. Well, mate, as an NRL coach, I think you're doing pretty well because most 50-year-old NRL coaches look about 70, and I reckon you're about on the mark, so you're doing well, buddy. Well done. Yeah. Oh, good on you. Yeah, good on you, mate. Sometimes I feel old with the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, so you just had a bit of a break. You just got back from America? Yeah, I did, mate. Um, yeah, so uh, myself and our CEO and GM, um, the football, we spent um, about 12, 13 days over in the Stakes. Um, our, our club chairman and owner, Scott Penn, is in Brooklyn. Um, yep. So we took the opportunity to spend a bit of time with him, um, visit the Brooklyn Nets and, and spend a couple of days with them. And then um, we had three days in Vegas, obviously sorting out the logistics for our trip over there, uh, looking for training facilities. And then we finished off with um, being hosted by the LA Rams, which was, which was really good in Los Angeles. So, yeah, it was a really good trip. Um, yeah, a good mix of, um, yeah, trying to sort out this Vegas game, but also spending some time with, with other um, sporting franchises. Sorting out logistics in Vegas. Please. <laughs> You're not fooling us. It's got to happen. You're not fooling us, Seeds. it's got to happen. We understand. Such is a... Yeah, he'll give it to you when he can, Sats. But he, we we understand, Sats. Mate, we understand, Seeds. Exactly, mate. Look, we, we minimised our time in Vegas, I've got to say, because the Formula One was on, mate. It oh. was just crazy. Like, it was crazy busy. Um, and I did take the CEO for a couple, couple of beers downstairs at the resort we sat up, mate. So, um, yeah, we, we enjoyed ourselves there one night. I uh, went and watched the Michael Jackson show, which was really good. Oh, nice. Um, had a couple of beers and, and, and um, yeah, enjoyed a night there, which was really good. But um, the, the biggest thing was, you know, in all seriousness, was making sure that we had grass fields for the boys so we can train. Um, you know, obviously, Vegas being a desert, it's pretty tough to, to – um, you know, get really good grass fields and, 
we looked at a couple of soccers, but um, we look as though we've, we've got a couple of fields there, soccer fields, um, that we can turn into um, rugby league fields for the week. So um, it was important for us not to have the boys training on synthetic um, grass because it puts the players at risk of, of injury when they're trainers on, um, you know, some foreign services. So, um, yeah, we got that sorted. We're going to use the UFC um, training facility in Vegas as well, which is, which is first class. So, um, yeah, we enjoyed ourselves. Stats, but also made sure that we um, yeah, we went about the business we went over there for. Now, of course, you kick off against the Rabbits in round zero, that uh, first game of 2024. Now, how, what, what will it look like? What will the schedule look like, Seeds, for that first game? Will you go over how many days before yeah. and will you stay in LA for a majority of the time and then move to Vegas? No, this is our thinking, mate. And, and we, we put quite a bit of research into this. Um, our uh, new head of performance, John Clark, he worked with England rugby team for, for six or seven seasons and actually worked with him for two of those um, seasons um, when I was working for Freddie Jones over there. And, um, you know, he's used to travelling the world with, with the international team. And, um, you know, we're actually going to spend um, 11 days prior to playing the game in, in the States. Um, there's a fair bit of research about going over there a bit early and, and acclimatising. As you guys know, like, and Rat, you obviously, you know, too, mm. with the Wallabies for a number of years, mate, like you'd understand... Um, Jet lag is, you know, can seriously decrease your, you know, your performance and so on. So we're getting over there early. One of the things that I'm thinking, mate, is we, we decided to go straight to Las Vegas. Um, we feel as though if we came to Vegas on a Wednesday or a Thursday, two or three days before the, the game, you know, the, the bright lights of Vegas is, is, is pretty, um, you know, glowing, as you guys know. So we, we sort of don't want any distraction. We want to try and normalise it as much as possible. Um, so we're going to get, get there early, spend the entire time there at the hotel, um, where you know um, we're staying for the game the, the entire time. So um, look, we we feel as though that's the best um, option for us. Other teams will have uh, different thoughts of opinion, but um, yeah, we're going to spend the whole time there. And as I said, we've got some first-class facilities to, to use with uh, the UFC. But um, yeah, the grass fields was a, was a bit of a hurdle, but we we feel like we've, we've come up with a really good solution. And the stadium's fantastic. We toured the stadium there a week or so ago. And, um, you know, the guys going to have a great experience um, playing in that particular stadium there in Vegas. Yeah, apparently ticket sales are going bananas too. They reckon, you know, it could come close to being sold out. So it could be something pretty special. Uh, the boys will certainly enjoy it. So uh, you visited some other, you know, um, the LA Rams and so on. Uh, did you did you take anything away from those clubs that you thought, gee, that's something that we don't do at home? Could we, could we maybe, you know, I mean, obviously they've got a huge budget. So some things that aren't going to cost an arm and a leg that you could use that could, you know, benefit um, your players? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing, I, I've been over the Brooklyn Nets, the NBA team, um, a number of times there and, and got a good relationship with their GM. He's actually a Kiwi guy, so um, he knows a fair bit about rugby league and, and, and rugby union and um, in particular loves the state of Oregon. So he, he you know, Sean Marks is his name. He, they welcomed us with open arms there and we spent a few days with them. I think the big thing we saw there, mate, is just how, um, yeah, look, from a coaching perspective, um, you know, it wasn't about going there to, to, to try and, you know, learn from that perspective, but just how they, um, you know, collaborate and communicate across their, their entire basketball staff, how they connect to their administration. Because you guys know, you know, the front office is um, integral to, you know, the, the you know to, to what we want to do from a footy point of view. Mm. So just that collaboration, communication across the, the program is really um, key that I wanted to get out of it, more so than looking at any particular coaching um, strategies and so on. Um, yeah, so we so we got some really good takeaways there. We actually met a guy called Tom Cable, who was the ex Oakland Raiders uh, NFL head coach, and he was the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. And 
and he hosted us in Las Vegas, um, and you know he really helped us, you know, find the the, the training venues that we did. Um, just spending some time with him, he, you know, great wisdom. Um, you know, being head coach in the NFL um, for a number of years, he was uh, he was awesome to, to talk to. So there's some good takeaways, but um, you always you know take away one or two things. And, yeah. you know, any sort of visit that, that I've done uh, over the years. Yeah, I think it was Jack Gibson that started that back in the eighties and sort of revolutionised rugby league here. I remember he brought a lot of stuff back to Parramatta, and it was a bit, it was a big Vince Lombardi. Fan. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, mate, back yeah. to back to Manly on the ground here in Australia. Uh, I, now, I was a chronic spewer in preseason, and I, <laughs> I want to ask you at a, at a scale of one to ten, how much vomiting uh, mid session and, and post sessions have you had from your players? Are they working hard? Uh, yeah, they're working hard. Um, I reckon one of the big differences mate, is that, um, of course, the guys have a break, um, you know, over what, what we call the off-season. But, look, the majority of players, you know, turn up not um, needing to get fit, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. they, they turn up in good shape. You know, they, they maintain that level of, of fitness over the break. It's, it's probably a little bit different to, you know, when we all sort of played footy, um, you know, for a while ago. Um, so... Look, yeah, of course, they're, they're working really hard. And, of course, you get the, the occasional guy who's sick from, from working hard. Um, but I, I think it's less and less. And, um, you know, the, the level of professionalism and athleticism, you know, in the NRL is, is outstanding, you know. I, I feel as though every single season, the intensity of the competition grows. And we see that with all the GPS data that we get, you know. So, um, mm. yeah, the, the guys work really hard away from, from the club. But, yeah, they're all, you know, there's always... Um, yeah, there's always changing, you know, changing sessions, and um, yeah, every, every club would say the same thing. Um, yeah, everyone's working pretty hard. Yeah, mate, I, I, mate, I, you say back I mean, our day, but I remember you working pretty hard in your off-season too, Steve. We were out having a beer one night at City Rollers, I think, and you picked up the bloke next to you and you did yeah. about eight squats with him. And then he, when he went, when he tried, <laughs> yeah, to, right. when he yeah. tried to walk away, he said, nah. Oi, where are you going? We've got three more sets to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, exactly right. Like, that was a bit of a party thing back in the uh, city of those days, mate. I, I, was, I was very good at the, the, the squatting back then. Oh, it was hilarious. Every now and then I come out, every now and then I come out on an night out, mate. So, uh, I reckon there's a septic tank in about in March it's going to get squatted in some <laughs> casino in, in yeah. Vegas. Now Luke Brooks Seebs. Well, uh, mate, if we get the two if we get the two if we get the two points, something <laughs> could happen, mate. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Now Luke Brooks, uh now when a player has spent so much time at one club, how do you get them to, to clean the slate, Seebs, or and start again? Or do you use the experience that he's had? At the West Tigers and not playing any finals, do you use that to his advantage somehow with the with the junior players? Oh, the, the first thing that we try to do, um, guys, is, is welcome Booksy with open arms, you know, and, and show him, uh, you know, a little bit of love. I think, um, you know, he's, he's a super competent player. But, you know, I think back to 2018, he was the Dalian halfback of of the year, and um, he's been heavily sort of uh, critiqued over his career, and and, and in some ways he's been. Um, you know, at the forefront of, of a lot of criticism of, of the West Tigers, not making the finals over that period of time. But, you know, we, we know he's a hell of a player. Uh, we've got open our arms to him. We want him to feel like he's a, um, you know, a, a manly player. And, um, you know, he, he just needs to come um, to our club, you know, work hard, have a smile on his face and enjoy his footy again. And guys like Chaz and Tom will really help his game go to the next level, we feel. And, uh, we've got a good coaching staff there as well. Um, you know, in particular, Michael Amos is working with, with Brooksy. 
And, um, yeah, we feel as though we can get the best out of him. But, yeah, we just want him to come and enjoy his footy again because, um, yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it's been a tough slog for, for Booksy uh, for a little period of time there. But, you know, I think he's a hell of a player. Like, you saw some of his performances, um, you know, either this year before he hurt his hamstring. You know, the two that stood out to me was when uh, the Tigers beat Penrith and then when the Tigers beat the Cowboys at Leichhardt and, and Booksy swept his guard. So, yeah, he's a talented player. And we just want to see him enjoy his footy and uh, not, put, not put too much pressure on him. I spoke of the influence of... Uh... Oh, Brett Stewart has had on his, his career as a specialist coach at Manly now. How, how's he going working with the uh, with the outside backs, Brett Stewart? Yeah, Snake um, you know, comes in one day a week. What, what we've done is he's got a real interest in, in coaching. And one of the things, or one of the bits of advice I gave to, uh, to Brett was to um, you know, see whether he really enjoyed the craft of coaching. So he's working um, with the SG Ball team as an assistant coach. Uh, so the SG Ball is the under-19 team. And, um, you know, he's working with them. And he comes in one day a week with us um, and does some um, mentoring with our outside backs. And just, you know, he, just um, the, the experience that he can um, offload onto our players, you know, and he's worked really closely with Tommy uh, Trebojevic when Tom was first coming through. That's uh, Brett was still playing. So, yeah, he, he's great to have, you know, and we've got guys like Jimmy Demick, you know, uh, Michael Ennis, Brett Stewart, all guys who have won premierships, um, but all working on their crafts as coaches, because obviously playing and coaching is, is vastly different. But it's great to have people that you know had success and um, you know as as players now um, you know, working really hard at their craft as coaches. So yeah, that, those sorts of guys are really good to have on that stuff. Hey, Steve's, thank you very much. You always give us your time uh, so willingly on here on Sports Day. Great to catch up with you again. Uh, not long to go. It only seems like it's it seems like it's a long time away, but it's not. The no. first week of March, and you have got plenty to yeah. go. At uh, plenty to do at training before then, and uh, hope you have a good Christmas, you and the family, and most of all, happy fiftieth next October. Yeah, good on yourself. It's only about eleven months early, mate. But I'm good to talk to you guys as always. Thanks for having us on, guys. Time for a racing update for Racing Queensland. Racing action continues every day across the Sunshine State. Check out racingqueensland.com.au for where Queensland is racing today. Like he does each and every week, and racing action continues every day. Across the Sunshine State, what's gambling really costing you, Chris Nelson? How are you, pal? Oh, I'm going very well. Great to chat, Sats. Now, what's happening this weekend in Queensland Racing? Oh, we've got a big day, of course, at Doombin on Saturday. Uh, the country comes to the city. We've got these Country Cups uh, finals or Country Series finals, the Country Cups Challenge and the Country Stampede. Uh, we also have the Group 3 George Moore, over 1,200, and that features the likes of Rothfire and Zoo Style, so that's a really good sprint race. Uh, the listed tail stakes over uh, 1,600 metres and the listed mode stakes for the three-year-old fillies. Townsville up north, Toowoomba in the twilight zone, and then we return to the Sunshine Coast on uh, on Sundays. Chris, oh. uh, any tips for the weekend coming up that I'm, the viewers might be able to load up on? Definitely, Macca. Now, we'll take a multi. I know you like your multis, so... Let's go with race four at Doombin, number three, Defiant Spirit, who ran really well first up at the uh, Sunshine Coast two weeks ago. I just think the extra distance will suit. So race four, number three, into race seven, number three, Abounding, who was very impressive winning late October at Doombin, kept nice and fresh, ran down the track in a trial since, but it wasn't asked for any effort whatsoever. Don't worry about that. So just put those two in a multi, race four, number three, and race seven, number three. Beautiful, Nelson. Thank you very much. What's gambling really costing you for free and confidential support? Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au and check out racingqueensland.com.au for where Queensland is racing today. Thanks, Nelson. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.